This evening uh, we come to the third petition of the Lord's Prayer and it is actually the final thy or the final your. Remember in week one we looked at who we actually pray to. It's our Father in heaven. And then the second week it's hallowed be your name. And then the third week it's your kingdom come as James helped us to reflect on last week. And now tonight it's your will be done. And then next week the emphasis shifts because it becomes about give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and lead us not into temptation. Now this, this third clause has been described as a rather dangerous petition to pray. And that's because it flies in the face of our natural inclination. Because by nature, most of us want what we want. Now I'm sure you've never seen this in your house. okay? But often in the Dunlop home, there is a battle of wills. And I'm not going to reveal the opponents, but every now and again there's a clash where two strong wills compete for the laptop, the remote control, the last minstrel, or the front seat of the car. And I have to be honest, whenever we come out of church this morning and we're driving home, we had one of those battles of the will between two of my daughters. But you know, as human beings... And as Christians, there, oh, there is another dimension to this battle. Because not, not only do we come up against or encounter the strong will of fellow human beings, whether they're brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, friends, bosses, employees, whatever, but we also experience a battle of the will between ours and God's. And it's not necessarily concerning PCs or what I watch or what I eat or where I sit although when you think about it it probably does concern exactly those sorts of things but it also relates to the choices that we make the direction that we take the people we help the words we speak the use of our time the use of our money there's often this clash between what I want and what I know or I sense that God Wants. Because God's ways and God's values and God's priorities are not always in line with ours. And therefore anyone who wants to take or desires to take the Christian faith seriously will recognize this constant need to pray the Lord's Prayer. This constant need to cry out to God, God, your will be done. Daryl Gruder writes this, Prayer is not about getting what we want, the fulfillment of our will. It is about learning what God wants, and then it's the binding of our will to God's. But before we, uh, we tease the specific phrase out a little further, let's look at where the clause actually goes and how it finishes. And Roy's already made reference to it, it was on the screen there, because it says, your will be done, and then what's the next little bit? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the implication from that little phrase is quite clear to me, that God's will is done in heaven. 
And therefore, as we pray this petition, what we're actually asking is that God's will would also be done here on earth. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 103, where we get a little glimpse into life in heaven. Psalm 103, and we're just going to read uh, verses 19, 20, and 21. And it says this, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his words. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. You see, in heaven there is no battle of the wills. Angels simply obey. They are possibly the best servants because they always, it seems, want to do, desire to do what God says. Now, I, I'm not sure how many, I don't think you'll see how many of you know the Westminster Shorter Catechism. But does anyone know how it talks about this particular clause of the Lord's Prayer and it's linked into Psalm 103? Can anybody quote it? No? Here it is. In the third petition we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things, and then picking up the psalm, those words in Psalm 103, as the angels do in heaven. And so life in heaven is characterized by a submission to God's will. And therefore this clause of the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that has been given to us as his disciples, is an opportunity and a reminder for us to consistently declare our commitment to be obedient. And if there's nothing else you hear tonight, and the will of God I know is, is, is a huge issue, and um, we may go off at some times, but if there's nothing else you hear tonight, whenever I pray that clause, your will be done. For me, it's an issue of obedience. It's all about submission and obedience. Now when it comes to the, the will of God, as I say, we, we possibly need to go off on a few tangents, although all hopefully connected. But one of the common questions people ask whenever you talk about the will of God is this, how do I know God's will for my life? Or more specifically, how do I know, for example, that this job, that this offer, that this relationship is God's will for me? And as you listen to how some people talk about this, there is a sense that being in God's will is a bit like walking a tightrope. I'm sure you've heard this imagery before. But the idea sometimes, it seems, is that one wrong step and you're gone. And so if you take that job or you accept that offer or you enter that relationship, then sometimes the impression given is that you may or you may not be in God's will. And God's will can therefore seem as, as if it's something quite narrow and quite fragile. And I actually think that perspective can be unhelpful. And I, I know some people who actually have been left quite confused and damaged by thinking along those lines. Because for me, wrapped up in doing God's will is this issue of obedience. 
So when deciding to take a job, to accept an offer, to enter a relationship, the challenges that I face, the questions I must ask concern obedience. Am I striving to live life, all of life, every dimension of my life in submission to God? That's the question I want to ask myself when I come to talk about God's will. Now, theologians will talk about two types and two categories of God's will. And and I know this gets technical and uh, in some ways I'm out of my depth here. But they talk about two categories of God's will. There is his secret and his hidden will. And then there is God's revealed, his declared and his visible will. And the basis for that distinction is found in this classic statement in Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. So the first kind or this is the secret will of God. And as the Bible often describes it, it is a mystery. And therefore in some ways it's not really my issue, it's not my problem and it shouldn't become my preoccupation. So Psalmist wrote, Psalm 115 verse 3, Our God is in heaven. And then I love this phrase. He does whatever pleases him. Now there are a number of examples, but whenever I come into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, let me read verses 4 and 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. To be holy, to be blameless in his sight. And in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. And then what does it say? In accordance with his pleasure and his will. Now who God chooses and why God chooses certain people is a mystery. And it falls into the realm of his secret and his hidden will. And therefore I I have to accept that I will never be able to fully or adequately understand it, explain it, get my head round it. And therefore, I simply need to accept when it comes to the secret hidden will of God to declare what Paul says in verse 11 of Ephesians 1, God works out everything in conformity with his purpose and his will. As God's, he does, as the psalm says, what he pleases. Now the second category of God's will is his revealed, declared, invisible will. In other words, his commands his laws, his guidelines, his value systems, his principles for our lives as he has set out in his word. So when it comes to various decisions in life, when it comes to you reaching a crossroads in your life, when choices present themselves, then a key part of the process in discerning what should I do next? What way should I go? What choices should I make? Well, a key part of that for me is an engagement with God's word to ensure that I am living in God's world, in God's ways. That I am engaging with God's revealed, declared, and visible will. The things that I am sure 
about. If you were here this morning, you'll remember that one of Josh's glaring errors regarding a particular dilemma was that he did not inquire of the Lord. He didn't seek God's counsel via the priest. God has given us his word. That's our point of reference. And as the Bible itself describes itself, it is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It helps us to discern the direction in life we are meant to take. So in other words, whenever you pray, your will be done. Part of the answer to that prayer is me committing myself to being obedient. Let me, let me be slightly personal for a moment. Do you know, whenever the opportunity came or the call came to be the pastor here at Windsor Baptist, I can honestly say I prayed like mad, your will be done. Your will be done. That was my heart's desire. And one of the questions that some people would ask me was this, David, how do you know that that is God's will for your life? And I find that, and I find questions like that tough. I, I understand those questions, but I still think they're difficult. Because, again, it implied, to me anyway, that I, was, I could run the risk of finding myself out of God's will, depending on my answer. Which takes me back to the tightrope picture. One wrong move, David. And you're gone. And as I've said before, I don't find that particularly helpful. And therefore, and again, this is an image that I know some of you have come across before, and I, I do find it more constructive in a sense that God's will is like a field to play in rather than a tightrope to negotiate. And of course, there are boundaries. But at the end of the day, I believe God has got good plans for me. God loves me, and therefore, God knows what is best for me. And my responsibility in life is to be obedient. That I've got to live my day-to-day -day life, every aspect of my day-to-day -day life, in accordance with God's guidelines, God's values, God's principles, as he has revealed in here. And so back to the question, is this, me as pastor of Windsor Baptist, God's will for my life? I believe it is. But if I'd said no, and if I'd stared at Baal the Hinge Baptist, would I have been out of God's will? What do you think? Please talk to me afterwards on that one. But, but it is an interesting one. And it was a real wrestle I had, I'll be perfectly honest, because this idea, what is God's will? How do I know what God's will is? I think we can get hung up on that. And for me, the issue was, David, you've got to search your heart. You've got to look at your life. Are you living life in accordance with God's values? So talk to people. Apply common sense. Take the opportunity if you believe that's what you've got to do. But at the end of the day, if I'd said no, would I have been currently living outside of God's will? I don't believe I would. Let me take this a, a little further, a little deeper as I try to develop this theme of obedience. Whenever alternative possibilities lie in front of us, and whenever we're trying to determine or discern what is the right choice, what is the right direction to take, the key issue maybe is this. Am I willing to obey God in any of the possible ways forward? 
Some of those ways forward may be costlier than others. They may be more convenient, riskier, unknown. But the issue is, am I willing to go there even if I sense that is right? Back to my own situation, and I hope you don't mind the personal reference tonight. But as I thought about the potential move to Windsor, I certainly recognised the risk. The journey into the unknown. The stepping well outside my comfort zones. The potential upheaval for Glenn and the girls. And I know some people think, well, when it comes to God's will, if you have got a choice presenting yourself, presenting itself before you, then you should always go for the more uncomfortable option. Because that's God's will for your life. God doesn't want you to be comfortable. But for me, that didn't or shouldn't determine that it was the right move. The key issue for me was this. Was I willing to obey God if that was the possible way forward? Back to the battle of the wills. Because is it not a case of what I want? It's not so much a case of what I want, which is often our default position. The question is, am I willing to go there if that's what God wants and all the possible ways forward am I willing to go there if that's what I sense God wants and as ever whenever you come to the Christian life and how we live it our role model has got to be Jesus and I know I say this so often but I, I find this so important in my Christian life that I believe I'm called to t- pick up the example of Jesus Christ And Jesus made it absolutely clear, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And obedience to God's will was Jesus' bread and butter, so to speak. And I love that idea, because do you remember the incident of Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4? The disciples had gone into town to get food, and when they returned they were really keen that Jesus would eat. And they said, Jesus, you need to eat something here. And what was it that Jesus said to them in response? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then there is that deeply moving moment, and we've sang it this this evening. Whenever Jesus prays the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus didn't just give this prayer is a model for his disciples it seems that Jesus picked up certain petitions of this prayer for himself because he said yet not my will but here it is but yours be done and Jesus is alone in the garden and he's fully aware of a possible way forward and I think it's really interesting to sense there's almost it seems now I need to be careful here a battle of the wills between Jesus and his father because Jesus says I haven't come to do my will but the will of him who has sent me and he prays not my will but yours be done and again I think this is just a revelation that Jesus was fully human and yes he was fully God but Jesus had to reach a place of being prepared to surrender the human will to the divine will Jesus was willing to be obedient irrespective of personal preference. He was willing to obey even in a way forward that involved the prospect of suffering. And that's why this is such a dangerous petition to pray. 
Because for Jesus, and I believe this was unique, and I'll explain this and I'll explain more in a minute, but for Jesus, God's will being done meant he had to be obedient to what? Death. Even death on a cross. And Isaiah 53 says this, that it was God's will to crush Jesus. And that may be very difficult for us to comprehend and accept and process, but Jesus knew that the path marked out for him led to a cross. And so he says, your will be done as he sweats blood. And although we may struggle with God's will for his son, it surely reveals to us the extent of the love that we have experienced. The extent of the love of God for us, that it would be his will not just to crush his son, but it also says in Isaiah 53, it was his will to make him suffer. Your will be done may take us in the direction of suffering. The question isn't, do we want to go there? Because who in their right mind ever does? But the real question is, am I willing to go there? Am I willing to go to a place of suffering if that is one of the ways forward in my life? I know I've referred to John Wesley's covenant prayer that's, that's used in many Methodist churches, often at the beginning of a new year. It's a prayer of recommitment, but it captures this brilliantly, and I think it presents a radical challenge as we echo this third petition. I'm no longer my own. I'm yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and your disposal. Your will be done. That for me is a cry of obedience, a cry of submission. And so regarding the will of Jesus, or will of God, Jesus is our example. But not just our example in that he was willing to suffer, but actually in the life that he modelled. Someone has said that if you ever want to know what God's will is, just look at the life of his son. In other words, look at his whole life. And Cyprian, one of the early church fathers, said this, and I know the language is maybe a little difficult to grasp. He said, now that is the will of God, which Christ both did and taught. Humility in conversation, steadfast in faith, modesty in words, justice in deeds, mercifulness in works, discipline in morals, to be unable to do wrong and to be able to bear a wrong when done, to keep peace with the brethren, to love God with one's heart, to love him in that he is a father, to fear him in that he is God. This is to fulfill the will of the Father. And we all know that God's purpose for us, for you and me, is to conform us to the likeness of his Son. And therefore, as we pray, your will be done. What we are asking our Father in heaven is this. Make us more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. Every time I pray that clause, I honestly hear those words echo. Make me more like Jesus, Father. In my words, in my conversations, 
in how I do justice, how I treat people, in how I love the Father, and so on. And I just, to finish this, want to give you two specifics regarding the will of God. Two things that hopefully tie this all together or or deepen this a little. Which I am crystal clear on about when it comes to knowing the will of God. And there are more than these two. But I just want to leave these two with you to take away and, and reflect on during the week. You see, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that these are God's will for me. Holiness and contentment. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And a chapter later, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. You God is deeply concerned about and interested in how we do live our lives. Really believe that. God is passionate passionate about changing the spiritual and moral fiber of men and women. And therefore, as children of God, we have been given, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who longs to make us more like Jesus, to encourage us, to assist us in our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of purity, that we are not conformed to the pattern of this world, that we don't let this culture squeeze us into its mold, but that we are transformed by the renewing of the way we think, that we think God thoughts, that we pursue being different, distinctive, set apart, that we live holy lives because that is God's will for us. So that when I pray your will be done, God, I am resolving to live a holy and a pure life in every aspect of my life. And secondly, it's God's will for us to be people characterized by contentment. You know, we live, and I know we live in a culture of complaint. In a context where very few people are ever satisfied with anything. Where there's always something to gurn about. Something to voice off at. And it's so easy to do. And yet God wants us to model an alternative approach to life. An approach that reflects, listen, we are content people. We're content with who we are. Content with what we have. And as Paul says, it's a contentment, it's a thankfulness in all circumstances. And so we know that, yes, obedience to God, your will be done. Obedience to God will and potentially does take many of us into deep waters or along rocky roads or through rough terrain. But it's God's will that we learn to be thankful whatever the situation or circumstance we find ourselves in. And that is incredibly hard. And so whenever I pray, your will be done, I'm actually saying, God, teach me what it means to be content. What it means to give you thanks for the situation I'm facing at the minute. Let me wrap this up. Whenever we pray, your will be done, I realize there is a sense of a foregone conclusion. Because as Psalm 135 says, the Lord does whatever pleases him. In heavens and on the earth and in the seas, and in all their depths. As Isaiah says, what God wills, he does. God's eternal purposes cannot be resisted. 
And I've got to just submit to that. But on a personal level, the challenge we face in praying your will be done is to say, okay God, here I am before you. And in praying that petition of the prayer that your son gave us, I am committing myself to living a life of obedience and surrender. And that may seem like a battle at times, because what I want often seems far more appealing than what God wants. And yet, God's ways always make far more sense than our ways. Because as Paul wrote to the church in Rome, after he said about do not be conformed, what does he say about God's will? It's pleasing, it's perfect, and it's good. Therefore, what God wants is always far better than what I want. Let's sing together as we close.